Again, I appreciate you and so grateful that you are with us. As we turn our attention to the Word of God now, I want to invite you to grab your uh, Bibles and you can open it to, or if you have a digital copy, turn it on to. Uh, if you don't have either, right there in front of you in the uh, pew rack is a Bible. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 together. You know, there's a story about uh, someone who would become an all-time great in basketball who we very well could have almost never heard of. The story about this man is that he tried out for his high school team, and his sophomore year, he got cut by his coach. Now, I think we can all agree that the University of North Carolina, as well as the NBA Chicago Bulls, happy that Michael Jordan didn't quit at the first sign of adversity. He didn't allow difficulties to define him. And it's in this way that we can see kind of a parallel for Christians. Because if I was to ask, how many Christians here want to grow in their faith? My guess is all the hands are going to go up. But then if I ask a follow-up question such as, well, how many of you feel like you're growing the way that you expect to. My guess is most of the hands would go down. And there lies a lot of the frustration that Christians have because they hear a sermon's taught, they read in Scripture themselves how we should grow in Christ's likeness, but they're not sure how. And so they become frustrated. And oftentimes frustration gives way to just giving up. Through the motions. And so a lot of times we ask, well, why is it that most Christians and most churches aren't growing the way the Bible speaks of? And there are a lot of different reasons, but one of the biggest reasons is that, well, frankly, we don't like to put in the work that it's going to take. You know, growing in our faith isn't just going to be something that it's going to be something that we have to discipline ourselves and dedicate ourselves to just growing the way God wants us to. Which means we're going to have to experience not only good things in life, but we're going to have to experience adversity as well. Uh, one thing we were talking about in our Sunday school class before is I've been on both sides uh, in the athletic world. I have been on the winning side. Love that side. It's a whole lot more fun. However, if I'm being truthful, I've learned a whole lot more through the adversity of losing. And so maybe where you're at right now, in this season of life, maybe it's God getting ready to grow you. And so the one big thing this morning is this, that growing in our faith, requires discipline and dedication. So let's look at it together. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to begin in verse uh, 6. And if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's word. So I'm going to start one verse uh, previous to that. But it says this. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit little. 
We thank you for your word. And Lord, as we sit down and just dive deeper into the study, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, guiding us in the truth that we would respond in love and obedience. And so, Lord God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Growing in our faith requires discipline and dedication. So as he begins here, we, when we talk about growing up in the faith, it takes a few things. The first one we see is dedication to the Word. Now, the context here is Paul telling Timothy, there are going to be false teachers who infiltrate the church. There are going to be agitators who come into the church. They're going to cause division and discord. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to understand it and you need to be on the lookout for it. One of the ways that they do that is they elevate secondary issues to issues of the most importance. They take the little things that don't affect a person's salvation, that doesn't change the word of God, and, and they make them very important. And what ends up happening in that instance is that you end up creating division and discord because some people want to believe here and others want to believe over here. And so they're like, well, we don't agree on this, so now we can't do anything together. And so one way that we need to make sure that that doesn't happen is by asking some important From the very beginning, we must reject and get rid of it. The second question we ought to ask is, is this changing how a person is saved? If somebody was to come in and want to teach that Jesus was just a good teacher, we're going to have to reject this. Why? Because Scripture teaches he was both God and man. Can you explain it? No. Can I? Not adequately. But what Scripture reveals is the truth. If somebody was to come in and go, well, you know what? You're saved by baptism. You have to reject it. If you're saved by church membership or doing things, works, right? We have to reject things. We have to fight for those things, right? Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Any attempt to alter that is an attempt to deny what the Bible teaches. And so we're going to fight against that. But outside of these two things, listen, we're going to disagree on some stuff. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we make what Paul says here in verse 6. He says, uh, to be a good minister, you will nourish him up in the words of faith and good doctrine. Why is it that false teachers seem to be so successful in the church of America? Again, there's a lot of reasons. But I think the number one 
is most people don't know what the Bible actually teaches. We know what we have been taught by other pastors or teachers. We, we know what we think. But actually sitting down and reading and understanding what Scripture teaches requires hard work. And it's easier for us to sit down and have somebody tell us what to believe. That's how people's faith gets sidetracked and shipwrecked. We need to learn the words of faith and good doctrine. What does the Bible actually teach? This should be something that we're desiring in our lives here. You know, the basic message of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is this. That God created Yet as we get into chapter 3, what we see is the first temptation, followed by the first doubt and denial or sin from Adam and Eve. They doubted what God had said. Okay? They rebelled against him, and so sin entered into the world. And from that moment, all the world around us began to change. All right, when you and I look around the world that we see, this is not the paradise that God had created. This is actually the result of the sin and the fall of mankind. Cancer diagnosis, heart attacks, strokes, the, the fights. All of these things are a result of what it says in Genesis 3, how sin entered into the world. And because God is holy and is perfect, he would have been perfectly just to go, you know what, I gave you the good, you chose to reject it, you're on your own. You would have been perfectly just in doing that. But Romans 5 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So instead of leading us to our own devices, instead of just leading us to figure it all out, before the foundation of the world, God had the plan to send his son to die on the cross for your sins, for my sins, in fact, for the sins of the world. That any who would surrender their heart and their life to King Jesus would be forgiven of all their sins and they would be redeemed. Which means they would have a relationship with God that could never end. We see that in the very uh, end of verse 8 when it says, Having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. And so this... How we have rejected him and rebelled against him. But, but in his love, he died in our place. Now, God does give us a responsibility to respond to the gospel. God is not going to make you do it. He is going to offer that gift. He chose to do it through Jesus' death and resurrection. So you have the responsibility to respond to that gospel. And that response that we give either results in God graciously saving us or us continuing in our sin. That is the core message of the Bible. That's the core of the good doctrine that Paul is talking about. 
that we are all sinners who need to be saved, and God has made a way for that to happen. And so we have to be confident and dedicated to being in the Word. If we're going to be rooted in God and built up, we need to be men and women of Scripture. Spending time studying scripture, asking God to teach you what it means. We'll do it. Which leads us really to the second point here, and it is intentionality. If you and I are going to grow in our faith, we have to be intentional. One of my favorite quotes from Zig Ziglar is this if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You can't just wake up one day and go, you know what? All right, let's imagine that tonight, you say, you know what, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up in the best shape of my life. But I'm not going to change what I eat, and I'm not going to change my physical fitness activities. Now, how many of you genuinely believe that just by saying I'm going to wake up in the best shape of my life, without doing something about it, how many of you? Approach our own spiritual growth differently. Why is it that we think we can just sit back and naturally I'm going to grow in my faith? It takes discipline. It takes an intentional choice. Which means, in verse 7, he says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables. He, he's going, Listen, you need to train yourself in the right things. You have to. Jesus and the kingdom of God, which means you have to intentionally avoid anything that is going to take you away from God. And, and so I would, I would encourage you, just think back over the, this past week, the decisions that you made, the things that you spent time in doing, did they lead you closer to Christ? It's amazing every four years with the Olympics, there's always a story that comes out of the Olympic village. And, and the story is this how much these athletes eat the day after their Olympic event. Now, why do they wait till the day after? Because these men and women have disciplined themselves five, six, sometimes more years. They have watched everything that goes into their mouth. Sake going out with friends late at night so they can get rest so their body will recover to keep doing it. Why? For one moment. For one moment they have trained their entire life. And when it comes to that time, they need their body to respond at peak performance. So they discipline themselves. And so after 
something. Why? Because they had been depriving themselves for a purpose. But here's the thing. In choosing to pursue Jesus and to pursue his kingdom, we're not depriving ourselves of anything. We're actually investing in our lives and the lives around us. And so we stand even more to gain when he says to refuse these things, but exercise yourself rather to godliness. Now that word godliness can also be translated as holiness. You can't live for Jesus on Sunday and shack up the sink from Monday to Saturday. And expect God's blessings. We have to make intentional choices to pursue Jesus. It's why Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I have to choose to die myself. What does that mean? It means that my hope, my dreams, all these things that I think I want and think are good for me, I have to go, you know what? I want Jesus more than I want anything else. So we choose to intentionally deny ourselves so that we can live for Christ. Sometimes that's easier said than done. But it leads us to the third aspect this morning. How can we do it? Well, there in verse 8, we would sum it up this way. We need to learn to focus on eternity. Paul continues his analogy of spiritual fitness and physical fitness there into verse 8. And he says, for bodily exercise profits little. Now that doesn't mean it's not valuable. We should be healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally so that we can be healthy spiritually. Alright? But he's going, yeah, physical exercise is good, but what's better is Exercising towards godliness or holiness. Because that will not only affect our life now, but it will prepare us for the eternity that we're all going to step out into. See, none of us here, this is the when the moment we close our eyes in death, we step out into an eternity. Into the presence of God or away from God. And part of it, part of the proof that we are going towards God is that we are training, exercising ourselves towards Godliness. How do I know? How should somebody know that I've been saved by the grace of God? They should know it by the words that are coming out of my mouth. There's got to be a difference, church, between the way the world lives and the way that the children of God live. See, I would argue that the world is not against the gospel. The world is against people who say they love Jesus and then live like he doesn't. They're going, I thought you loved God. I thought you were saved. saved. Why 
doing and acting the same way I'm living. This is the understanding. Paul goes on in chapter 4, verse 10. He says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe. Now that word suffer there means to strive, to agonize. It's another uh, athletic picture. If you've ever seen a sprinter, as they're coming to the finish line, Forward. They're trying to get there as fast as they can and explode through that line. And that's the same picture that Paul is saying. He says we labor and suffer. We're agonizing. We're striving towards God. We want to do things that are going to draw us closer to Him, but also be a witness to those around us of who God is. It's intentionally choosing to know Jesus and to make Him known. Is, is kind of simple. Do we give as much attention and effort towards growing closer to God as world class athletes train to win a medal? That's, that's a hard question, isn't it? See, that's the thing. Why, why do Olympians train as hard as they do? Paul answered in 1 Corinthians 9 that we read earlier this morning. They're striving to obtain a crown that's perishable. Outside of the swimming events, which is Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps, Michael Phelps. How many of you remember five other gold medalists from the last They discipline themselves and train for years for that one moment. And it's gone. It's over. So how much more important is it for you and I who are training and striving for something far greater than a gold medal? We are training for and, and striving to grow closer to the very one who created us and died for us. And who wants to use us to reach other people? See, the gospel came to you on its way to somebody else. If we're going to see revival in our nation, it's going to be because the church takes seriously the call of God to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's going to take us loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbors, ourselves, to go listen. I want to tell you about someone who has changed and is changing my life. Gospel, sharing your testimony. Because that not only has a benefit for you, we see in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we're saved by grace through faith. But listen to what verse 10 says. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Did you know that God saved you? Not so that you could sit and just wait to go to heaven, but he saved you with a purpose to serve him and to use you to reach others for his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, missionary, evangelist. It doesn't matter. It's about loving God and not going, all right, Lord, use me to glorify you and to reach them. See, 
you were created to make an eternal difference. Our bodies only last a few years. You know, even the, the most in-shape people, you know they die one day, right? Keep physical shape. They're not spared death. When we die, our bodies return to dust for which they were created. So when people gather, whether in a church, cemetery, funeral home, wherever, Remember you. What's your legacy going to be? What will they say about you? Let me, let me just illustrate this by one simple story. How many of you here know who Edward Kimball is? Don't feel bad. Nobody in the 8th service knew it either. Edward Kimball was a boy Sunday school teacher. And Mr. Kimball had a particularly rambunctious and hyper young boy. Boy just couldn't sit still. He didn't really pay attention to Sunday school. But Mr. Kimball said, you know what? I want to make sure this young man understands the gospel. And so he went the extra mile, and he one night went to the shoe store where this young man was working. And there on a break, he shared the gospel with him. And that young man surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. That man's name was Dwight L. Moody, a well-known evangelist. Well, Moody later on becomes an evangelist himself. And he reaches a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman for the gospel. Chapman also becomes an evangelist. So one day, Chapman is preaching. And a baseball player had a day off. And so he said, you know what? I want to go hear this Chapman guy. And so the baseball player goes to this evangelistic service. That day he gives his life to Christ. He quits baseball and begins to take the gospel everywhere it goes. His name was Billy Sunday. So Sunday continues to share the gospel. And one time sharing the gospel, a man by the name of Mordecai Ham, he surrenders his life to Christ. Now, Mordecai Ham understood that he was called to be a missionary, not in the standpoint of, I'm going to go overseas somewhere, but wherever I go, I'm to take the gospel with me. So when I go to work, I'm taking the gospel. Wherever I go. And so, Mordecai Ham, the gospel takes him to Charlotte, North Carolina, in a place where he is going to teach for a couple of nights. And on the first night, two decided, you know what, we're going to go disrupt Mr. Ham's service. So they go to the service, they go through the whole thing. They never disrupt the service at all. But one of the boys is kind of intrigued. He's got some questions about what he heard. And so he decides to go back the second night. Again, Mordecai Ham presents the gospel. This night, that second little boy gives his life to Jesus Christ. That little boy's name, Billy Frank. How many of you know who Billy Frank is? Let me help you out. You know him by the name Billy Graham. One Sunday school teacher who took the gospel the extra mile 
generations before was used by God in a long line of reaching one person who would reach another who eventually would reach one who would touch millions. Is there anything special about Edward Kimball? No. We didn't even know who he was. But he was special in, in God's eternal plan because he obeyed God. He took the gospel wherever he went. And because of that, there are probably even some in this service who heard the gospel for the first time at a Billy Graham crusade. It's possible even in here some were saved on one of those nights. My point is don't ever underestimate the impact that God can have in you and through you when you surrender all of you to Him. When you relinquish full control of your life and you say, here my Lord, use me. You may never know the impact you make. But God has a plan for you. So much so that you're not here by accident. You are here by divine appointment. First, that appointment is to surrender and bow your knee to King Jesus. Because you've been living your life for you and how you want to. Never understand it. That there is a God who loved you enough to die for you. That there is an eternity that you could step out into. But for the first time, you understand it. For the first time, you want to know what does it mean to be saved? What What does it mean to have a relationship with God? In a moment, we're going to encourage you to respond. We'll pray with you. We want to help you understand what it means. For some of you, it's going to mean you need to start making intentional decisions. You're not training yourself in godliness. You're just kind of meandering through life. And God's going, it's time to lay this stuff down and to get serious about living for the purpose you were created. I don't know what it is for you. But I want to ask you this question. What will your legacy be? When people gather to remember you, will there be a line in your obituary that says they went home to be with their Lord and Savior? Or will it say, They died doing things their way. Would you stand with me as we're going to pray together? Father, we thank you for this morning, this opportunity just to worship. Father, it's it's easy to believe that our lives don't really matter. Especially when it comes to reaching people with the gospel. But the Bible is full of examples of how you use ordinary people and accomplish extraordinary things in them and through them. The only ability that you're looking for in us is our availability. A willingness 
for us to surrender to you and to be you. Constantly tripping them up. Lord, that they will get None of this is about me. Oh, it's all about you. And so as we sing, Lord God, would you respond to your grace? The grace that sent Jesus to die on that cross in our place. That grace that can save us and cleanse us from all our sins. And that grace that will change us. And one day will lead us safely home into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's any way we can pray, anything that we can do, we need to respond to the gospel. This is going to be the time that we do it as we sing this song together.